Last month, the month of February, we went through the book of Ruth. This morning, we're starting a new journey from now till the end of this month. We're going to take you on a journey towards Calvary. And we will wind up this month uh, at the empty tomb, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad he rose again? Amen. Yes, he did. My text this morning as we start this little short series, Going to Calvary, is found in uh, St. John. The title of the message today is The Great Announcement, The Great Announcement. And my text is just one short verse. It's in St. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Behold the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That, that, notice that first word there uh, in, in his announcements. Behold. There's an explanation point after that. And we read that, just a cursory reading. Here's how we read it, just like I read it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is not the way John the Baptist said it. That word behold is a very unique word. And it carries with it the same kind of emphasis that you would have if your child was about to step out off of the curb in front of a car. And you would say, watch out! This has the same meaning. Is everybody awake? <laughs> well, that's what John did to his audience. They woke up too. John's preaching along. Everything's going like normal. He's preaching his regular message on repentance, bringing forth some fruit for repentance, and he's getting them ready for a baptismal service. And he looks up, and here comes Jesus, and he just stops, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That word behold, is, it, it's just like if, if your, your child's about to put his hand on a hot stove and you scream. You're, you're trying to get his attention. John the Baptist got everybody's attention in his crowd that day. Behold! And then he explains the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This message today really has to do with identification. It's all about identification. And first of all, when John identifies Jesus, when he says, behold, and he's got everybody's attention, and they're looking now to see who he's talking about, he identifies him, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Now, in, in the Gospels, each of the Gospel writers seems to emphasize a different aspect of the ministry of Jesus and presents him in a very unique way. For example, Matthew introduces Christ as the Messiah. Mark introduces him and really refers to him as the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's God with us. Luke refers to him as the Son of Man, and he shows us the manhood side of Jesus. And then John talks about him as the Son of God. And he talks about the God side of him. Remember, Jesus is both God and man. He is the God-man. He, uh, at, at conception, uh, you know, something happens. The, the DNA of two people come together at conception. And, and the chromosomes of, of 
two people come together at conception. And, and so the, the, the infant that is born or created at that moment becomes both in one. And in the case of Jesus, Mary was the human mother. But God told Mary that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And it's the seed of God that will be planted in your womb. And so when conception happened, he is both God and man. Now, I, there's, a, there's a doctrine going about today that really disturbs me because um, some people think that Jesus laid totally aside his godhood and he was nothing but man until he was baptized with the Holy Spirit and he never acted as anything on earth but a man and only did what he did through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the problem with that. If, if he was only man, then who was the father? Do you understand what I'm saying? If he was only man, he wasn't just man. He is the God man. He is very God and he is also very man. Um, that, that, that doctrine can morph into the same kind of concept that the cults have about Jesus. They think he's just like Lucifer or just like Adam or just, no, 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 no. He's much more than that. He, he is the God man and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. And he, he did choose not to use his God ability, but rather to listen to the Father and to minister through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but if you buy that, that, that very subtle misrepresentation of who Jesus is, then you can also buy into the fact that we're Jesus just, just exactly like Jesus, anointed with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something this morning. I'm anointed with the Holy Spirit, but I'm not just like Jesus. I'm, I'm one day going to awaken His likeness, and I'm looking forward to that. I can hardly wait for that. Amen. But, but right now, you, you remember the Bible said that Jesus had no need that anybody should tell Him what was in man. He knew what was in man. I have the Holy Spirit, but I don't know what's in man. When I meet you, I, I, I don't have any idea what you're thinking. Jesus had no problem with that. He knew what they were thinking. He, he was very God. He astounded doctors of the law and religious leaders at 12 years old with his knowledge of the Word of God. Where did he get that? He was also the sinless Son of God. He was sinless, wasn't baptized until he was 30 years old. That's when the Holy Spirit said, anybody in here live a sinless life the first 30 years of your life? No, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. He is very God and he is very man. I don't know why I got sidetracked with that, but I just want you to know this morning that Jesus is not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. Amen. Amen. Now, in the first 14 verses of this, um, this chapter, chapter 1, John himself presents Jesus in many different ways. He starts off presenting him as a word. 
Remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he also presented him as God. If you're questioning whether he's God or not, there it is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. He presents him as creator. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. He's life. Amen. And the life was the light of men. So you have right there four different things that John mentions about Jesus in those first 14 verses. In verse 14 he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. How many of you are thankful for the God-man that came to this earth? Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Well, then John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, he introduces him, or he's identified here as the Lamb of God. Now, that sounds good to you and me when we read that. Behold, the Lamb of God. Doesn't that sound sweet? Doesn't that sound precious? That's wonderful. How do you think that must have felt to Jesus? What do they do with lambs? They sacrifice them. So when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, it was great, brought great joy to everybody else because they've been looking for that for years, hundreds of years, literally millenniums we've been looking for the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth. But for Jesus to be called the Lamb of God, that's saying to him, Remember, you're here for a sacrifice. Remember, you're here to give your life and your blood. So he identifies him, first of all, for who he is. Secondly, he identifies him for what he does. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He removes sin. I don't know if that does anything to you or not, but boy, it sets my soul on fire. I am so thankful this morning that when I got up and got ready for church, that I didn't have to go out to a corral somewhere and see if I could find me a spotless lamb and drag a lamb in here or carry a lamb in here and bring it up here for somebody to cut its head off and, bl- and, 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 and spill his blood across the altar to cover my sins. Notice I said to cover your sins. That's all those lambs did. They covered their sins. They covered sin for a period of time. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so these lambs, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions have been sacrificed at the altar. But John said, here's the Lamb of God that doesn't cover our sins, but he removes our sins. He does away with our sins. Am I glad your sins are gone? They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. They're just gone. Somebody else may remember them, but God doesn't. They're gone. Praise the Lord. He removes our sins. And so that talks to us about the suffering Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But not only is he the suffering Savior, we're going to see that when we come to the last sermon in this short series, we're going to see him as the triumphant Christ Because after he gave his life and shed his blood and died on the cross of Calvary, three days later, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose victorious. 
Praise the Lord. He is the victorious Christ. Now, I want to spend the balance of this message today talking about what John talked about in the verses right after my text. Verse 29, where he identifies and announces Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, uh, who takes away the sins of the world. Then John begins quickly to reminisce, and he talks about the baptism of Jesus. He said, this one I'm pointing to right here and telling you that he's the Lamb of God, I baptized him. And let me tell you what happened when I baptized him. When I baptized him, the heavens opened. I saw the Spirit of God in the form of a dove descending upon him. And I heard a sound from heaven that shocked everybody that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. And he reminded himself of what the Holy Spirit had already told him. You'll know the Messiah when you see him because you'll see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him. And so John is identifying him here by his water baptism. And since we're going to have a baptism next Sunday, I thought it would be good that if I just take a few minutes and talk to you about baptism. The Greek word for the noun is baptisma, which literally means to submerge. That's why we baptize by immersion. If you ask how we baptize, and it's not the only way to baptize. There are different ways, and I don't fuss with people about how they do it. I'm just telling you how we do it. We, we baptize you in water. We submerge. The, the verb is baptismo, which means to dip. Literally means to dip, put down in the water. What we do, we put you down in the water. And if we do it correctly, we bring you up out of the water. It's, it's more than one step. I've told you this story before, but let, let, let me remind you. We had this huge baptistry down on Crawford Avenue. I mean, you had to start filling that thing up early on Saturday to have that thing ready and warmed up by Sunday morning. It was big, and you got down that bed. I always put my foot in front of the person that was going to be baptized so they wouldn't slip, and I would baptize them. And we had this one lady that was scared stiff. And I mean that literally. She was scared stiff. And I got ready to baptize her, but her foot slipped past my foot. And so when I took her down, she was stiff as a board. She just floated right on top of the water. Just... I'm looking, and here's this lady just laying right there. I didn't know whether to jump up. and I, 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 I didn't know exactly what to do there. For a moment, I finally figured out what I should do. I just floated her over to the end of the pool. Till her feet could hit the edge and, and straightened her up and walked her back out there and got ready to do it. And I stood on her feet this time and I, and I, and I baptized her. That's, we do it, we do it by what they call immersion. We, we, we immerse them. We take them under and, and we bring them out. We, we believe that, that Jesus was baptized by immersion. We, we believe he went down into the Jordan River and came back up again. The formula we use is following Jesus' word to us in Matthew 28, 18, and 19. 
Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what, all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world." That's, that's just the way we do it. And we, we would encourage you, if you've never been baptized, to sign up and get ready to be baptized next Sunday. I want you to understand, though, that, that baptism is more than just a dip in the water. Um, if there isn't more to that, then it, it's just an act that can become so commonplace and if there hasn't been something happen in your heart, then water by itself is not the total answer. If water would have washed away our sins, Jesus would not have needed to die on the cross. There, there has to be more than that. I know some people who get baptized and they go into the water a dry center and they come up out of the water a wet center. The water doesn't save you. It's the blood that washes your sins away. But what baptism really is all about, is it's about an identification with Christ. It's identifying with him. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. He is our example. That's one of the reasons we get baptized. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit, nor, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes we, you, were healed. Not only is there salvation provided for us in the atonement, but healing is provided in the atonement as well. Jesus suffered for the healing of our bodies as well. We identify when we're baptized, we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the baptism's all about. You go down into the water, you come up out of the water. We believe that you die with Christ to the old nature and the old life. And Jesus washes your sins away by his blood. And you're resurrected in Christ into a new life in him. Unfortunately, in our modern comfort zone Christianity, we, uh, we seem to take God's commandments too lightly. Chuck Colson points out something that I think is very interesting. He said, most Westerners take baptism for granted but for many in the world, the, this act requires immense courage. In places like Nepal, it once meant immediate imprisonment. In the Soviet Union and in China and other Eastern Bloc countries, for those believers to be baptized in many cases, it's like signing their own death warrant. They could be killed because of their identification with Christ. And so it's a, it's a serious thing for them. We're so blessed. We don't realize how blessed we are to live in a free country where we can announce a baptism and we can come together and rejoice and baptize in water and people rejoice and, and go on their, their way. 
But in many places, the police are watching when you're baptized. Sometimes the secret police are taking names, and later on, you'll be harassed. Or maybe worse, you'll be persecuted. Or even worse, you may suffer imprisonment or even death. But let me tell you something this morning, church. Those believers, and if you've ever been to these countries where that's the case, you realize how committed they are to Christ. They say Jesus died for us. We're willing to die for him. It's an identification with Jesus Christ. Just as a wedding band is a symbol that identifies you as a married person or a uniform of a military individual identifies them with the branch of service that he or she may be serving in, baptism is symbolic of an identification with Jesus Christ. It's about him. It's about him. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Do you see that connection with him? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we've all been made to drink into that one spirit. Praise the Lord. It identifies us with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Secondly, it identifies us with his life. Baptism in water is an outward representation of an inward work, something that's happened inside of us, in our heart. In biblical symbolism, water represents a cleansing an inner cleansing. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In biblical symbolism, it also represents a spiritual birth or shall I say rebirth. We're born again. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say unto you that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's so important. Baptism is very simply a profound act of obedience that you will carry with you for the rest of your life that says, I remember that day and I remember that time that I stood publicly in front of everybody and I said, make no mistake about it. I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And I'm identified with him and not ashamed of him to carry his name for the rest of my life. Praise the Lord. I want to I wanna give you a, a true story. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to read it. It's from Guidepost Magazine many years ago. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? the news commentator, Paul Harvey. Remember Paul Harvey? And now for the rest of the story. And he would give you page two. (laughs) Paul Harvey, um, this is what he said in Guidepost. He said, although I'd received almost every reward in broadcasting, I still felt empty inside. One summer, however, he and his wife were vacationing in a place called Cave Creek, Arizona, Sunday morning came, and they decided to go to church. So they went to this little church. There were only 12 people there. But he believed that Jesus, he believed in Jesus, but he had never gone forward in a church service. 
One night he had prayed in a hotel room and asked Jesus to come in his heart. But he always felt that there was something lacking, just something that he was missing. He said that the preacher in that little church on that Sunday morning got up and announced his sermon was going to be about baptism. Paul Harvey said, I yawned. But as he started talking about it, I found myself more and more interested. He talked about the symbolism behind it and how it symbolized a complete surrender of one's life to Jesus Christ and how there was nothing really magic in the water, but there was a cleansing inside that takes place when you yielded yourself completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. He went on to say, finally, when he came to the end of the sermon, he said, is there anyone here that has not been baptized, I invite you to come forward and join me at the pulpit. Paul Harvey said, to my surprise, I found myself going forward. The preacher said that there was nothing magical in the water, yet as I descended into the depths and rose again, I knew something life-changing had happened to me, a cleansing from the inside out. No longer did there seem to be two uncertain, contradictory Paul Harveys, just one immensely happy Paul Harvey. I felt the fulfilling surge of the Holy Spirit in my life. Paul Harvey went on to say, the change is simply, that change, simple, that simple act in my life of, of being immersed is indescribable. So totally yielding to him in baptism, my heart can't stop singing. Also, perhaps because baptism is such a public act and because one's dignity gets as drenched as one's body, I discovered a new unself-consciousness in talking about my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, give the Lord praise for that. God's worthy. He said something happened to him that day that just helped him to, to just release all fear and just begin to talk about what Jesus meant to him in his life. Now, I want to give you some final thoughts and, and we'll close. Two things that the enemy uses against us. Many people are held back from ever receiving the Lord. Many people who have received the Lord are held back from ever going forward with the Lord. With these two instruments that Satan uses, guilt and shame. Guilt is remorse over what we've done. And can I say to you this morning that I have a feeling that there are people under the sound of my voice in this room right now that have never really broken free from your past. You're, you're, the enemy still hounds you with the things that you've done in your past, the mistakes you've made, the failures you've had, the sins you've committed. And, and, and that either holds you back from surrendering to the Lord or it holds you back from going forward with the Lord. That's a terrible thing. I want to tell you in a moment how to get rid of that. But the second one I think is even worse, and that's shame. Because you see, shame is not remorse over what we've done. Shame is remorse over who you are. And some of you are ashamed of who you are. That, that comes from the enemy. You're listening to the wrong voices. 
People have been telling you all your life that you didn't measure up. People have been saying to you over and again that you weren't good enough, you weren't smart enough, you weren't good-looking enough, you weren't uh, on and on and on the list could go. You deal with shame. Brother Larry Aldridge, and I see him way up here in the balcony this morning. You know, I, I use his Bible. I'll be using it through this series. He did a tremendous work on putting the four Gospels together in parallel form and and uh, attaching all the fulfilled prophecies with them. It's a great work. If you don't have one, you ought to get it. I use it all the time. But we were talking not too long ago, and we were talking about Jesus and, and how he bore our sins and our sorrow and our suffering and all of those things and how he was tempted in all ways like we are and yet without sin. And, and Larry said to me, you know, for a long time, I, I just didn't understand. I, I knew that that Jesus knew what suffering was without a doubt. But what about shame? And then during the process of the in-depth study that he did, he saw what was right there. And that is that Jesus did know what shame was. In fact, all of his growing up years, it was an identity thing. Remember I said baptism's about identity? It was an identity thing. People, people would say to you, who's your daddy? You know, word was out. They knew that Mary was expecting before she and Joseph was married. And, and, and he lived with that shame. Many people, many people called him names indicating that he was an illegitimate child. He grew up with that shame that was heaped upon him. What's wrong with you? You don't look like your brothers and sisters. You know, you know what's, who's your daddy? Where did you come from? And, and, and in his ministry, so that, that's, those same accusations were hurled at him over and over again, many times by religious people of all things, scribes and Pharisees and elders. <laughs> Son of God, where do you get that from? I think that's probably the reason why when John the Baptist baptized him and he came up out of the water, there was a sound from heaven. The heavenly father confirmed his identification. That's my son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. Now, according to the timeline, he went from there to the wilderness temptation fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And guess what's the first thing that old sorry accuser of the brethren, that, that lying deceitful serpent, the devil, what's the first thing he challenged Jesus on? His identity. If you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones to bread? See, questioning again his identity. If you're the son of God. Yeah. He knew something about shame. He, he knew. Let me tell you, Jesus understands what, you de- what you're dealing with today. He understands. He was tempted in all points like we are. One writer said, we have not a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows how you feel. He feels what you feel. He knows. 
And I'm here to tell you one this morning that identifying with Christ, one of the things you need to understand, you need to do, you need to identify in a way that gets rid of your guilt and your shame. First of all, if you've been to the cross of Calvary and you've repented of your sins, the Lamb of God has taken away your sins. And I don't care who brings them up to you, they're not recorded anymore in heaven. The devil is a liar. Some of you need to get over your past. You have no past. Your past has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're glory to God. He justified you. That means he made you just as if you had never sinned. My past is gone. Hallelujah. It's gone. And the second thing you need to do is get rid of that shame. You need to stop believing what everybody else has told you and especially what the devil tells you about who you are and realize that you are who God says you are. You're a child of God, an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Your name's been written on the Lamb's book of life. You're saved and fit for eternity. You're going to live forever in his presence. You're going to rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. You are who he says you are. Hallelujah. Stand with us, if you will, please. We need to identify with him. There's two ways you can identify with him. You can come forward publicly. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me on this earth, then I'll be ashamed of you before my heavenly Father. But <laughs> if you'll confess me before me, and I'll confess you before my heavenly Father. I'm glad this morning that there's one in heaven that's confessing me. Hallelujah. Boy, that takes care of a lot. It, it takes care of all the gossipers. It takes care of all of the fault finders. It takes care of all of the, the, those that would heap shame and guilt and, and, and all kind of stuff on you. It takes care of all those bad things that are said. You can just forget it all. And just tell, I just tell the devil, you take that and peddle it somewhere else when he starts telling me about all the failures and mistakes and shortcomings and why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that and why didn't you do something else. I tell him, devil, you just have to peddle that somewhere else. I've taken all that to the cross. I'm identified with Christ. The only thing I'm going to believe is that I am who he says I am, and I can do what he says I can do, and I'm going to be who he says I am from this, amen. I'm going to identify with him. And then the other way is when we go to the baptismal pool, you take that public stand and say, praise God, I want everybody to know. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and he arose again and that my life is hid with Christ in God. And I'm a new creature, been born again, hallelujah, justified, regenerated, a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Identification of him. I want the prayer team in, to come quickly, if you will, and those that will help us with the, the prayer this morning. I, I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know the Lord does. And I know he can make a difference in this service this morning if you'll come. If you're unsaved, you need to come give your heart to Jesus. If you've wandered away from the Lord, if you're not as close to God as you one time was, 
that's an indication that you need to come and say, Lord, I identify with you. If you have other needs in your life, the altar's open. We invite you to come. Whatever you'd like to pray about or pray for, there are people here that will be glad to pray with you for you. If you just want to find a place, just you and God, that's fine. Spend that time with the Lord. But would you take advantage of the next few minutes to pray? God bless you as you respond. The altars are open.